Hello, and welcome to the Workforce Insights with Employ Milwaukee podcast. I'm Shaitania Brown, President and CEO of the Employ Milwaukee Local Workforce Development Board serving Milwaukee County. As we continue in the throes of an unprecedented year and heightened public safety and health protocols, disruptions to our workplace operations, incidents of national civil unrest, along with the dynamic presidential election, we've all had to make adjustments in a variety of ways. And when you add all of that on top of a normal day-to-day activities that happen in cities across America, including urban planning, roadway maintenance, timely garbage collection, job creation, citywide development, and the like, I'm sure it makes for interesting days for city government leaders. Today, we'll hear firsthand how this entire matrix is handled and facilitated as we are thrilled to have the City of Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett join us as our guest for today's episode. Mayor Barrett has served as the 44th Mayor of Milwaukee since 2004. Prior to his tenure as mayor, Tom served in the United States House of Representatives from 1993 to 2003 and the Wisconsin State Senate from 1989 to 1993. Welcome to the show, Mayor. I am so honored to have you join us today. Well, Shaitania, it's great to be on your show. This is a wonderful studio audience here. I love the band. You've got a great show, and I'm I'm excited to be one of your guests. (laughs) Thank you, Mayor. So, Mayor, you've been involved with and have extensive experience in local, state, and federal politics. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about what initially Pique your interest in the political field and what keeps you excited about politics during these dynamic times we are witnessing currently? Well, actually, I grew up here on the west side of the city of Milwaukee and I live about 150 yards from the house I grew up in. And I came from a family where no one was involved in politics. My parents weren't involved. I I really didn't know anyone involved in politics. But as I was growing up, I liked to read newspapers. I was a paper boy, so I always read the newspapers I read. And I just developed an interest in current events and public affairs. And when I went to school, I thought I'd love to get involved in politics someday. And I really didn't have a clue because when I graduated from college, I literally went out to City Hall and went into the office of the Common Council and said, (laughs) I'd like to have a job here. And I was out of that office within about 15 minutes. I literally had no clue as to what to do. And so I actually went back. I got a law degree. I came back and ran for office in 1982 because I wanted to be involved in the community. And and I lost that race in 1982, but I lost it by 39 votes out of about 8,000. It was a seat Mm. over on Milwaukee's west side that included Sherman Park and Enderus Park and the Mount Mary neighborhood. But I loved getting involved in the community. And so I thought, well, I'm going to persevere. So I got another shot and I've been involved in it since then. Wow. So they say during times of crisis, effective leaders stand up. So given this COVID-19 burst that came on the scene with little to no warning as to what was even about to happen, I'm pretty sure when we think back to March and, you know, when everything shut down, the safer at home orders went into play, we never thought we'd be in December still dealing with this particular issue. What are the key factors that you consider as you've led and continue to lead the city of Milwaukee through this pandemic? Well, that's a great question, Shatania. And again, you turn the clock back and it was actually Friday the 13th mm-hmm. uh, when we had our first case here in the city of Milwaukee. And I can remember over that weekend, having a lively conversation with our librarian at the time, Paula Kiley, about whether we should be closing the libraries or not. And I pushed back. I said, look, you're saying you want to close libraries for a couple of weeks. What are the people going to do? But now, in retrospect, 
when you think about that, we were thinking, okay, is this going to be a two week shutdown? Mm -hmm. And here we are and life is not back to normal. No. Nine months later, I think we all are starting to share some hope that with the vaccines that we'll be able to get life back to normal in early 2021, or at least by the summer of 2021. But it's certainly, I think for every one of us, it dramatically changed our lives from, from our working habits to our family habits to everything. Everything has changed in the last nine months. And I look back a year from now, and at the end of 2020, we had seen four years in a row of declining homicide rates mm-hmm. and crime rates in the city of Milwaukee. We had basically 20,000 more jobs than we had had coming out of the Great Recession. The bucks were crushing everybody and looked like they were stamp- on their way to a stampede to a championship. We were getting ready for the Democratic National Convention, the first time in the history of the state of Wisconsin, we'd be hosting a major political party convention. And I was thinking, this is great. What could possibly go wrong? And I think we know what the answer is. Everything, everything went wrong. And from the pandemic to the economic meltdown to the fight for racial justice that we saw after George Floyd was killed, both nationally and locally, I think it's safe. All of us would agree that it has been the most tumultuous year that we've faced probably in our lifetime. Absolutely. And, you know, just kind of piggybacking off of what you stated. So public health and safety, of course, is the utmost importance throughout our community. And as such, we've experienced the impact of the pandemic. As you mentioned, four years ago, our crime and stuff was down. We were nominated to get the DNC. And so we had a mostly virtual 2020 DNC this year, our cancellation of Summerfest, the world largest music festival, and then similar actions being taken in the spirit of caution and prevention measures. Have there been any other particular or specific needs or concerns that local employers and or workers have expressed to you as additional items of high priority? Well, I mentioned basically the four things that I was really optimistic about and bullish about at the end of 2020. But I'm going to go back again to March. And one of the things that we worked with the county on, um, they did a great job developing a map of where the cases, the COVID cases were, mm-hmm. were hitting initially. And as you recall, I mentioned that my first elective office was over on the west side, right. which included Sherman Park. When I looked at the first map of where cases were occurring, it took me less than one second to recognize that our first outburst was essentially 60th Street to 51st Street, Center Street, north uh, south of Capitol Drive, which is in the heart of the Sherman Park neighborhood. And I know that neighborhood very, very intimately. And so I could see instantaneously that our African-American community was being hit hardest first. And that Mm -hmm. was with the cases and then subsequently with the deaths that occurred. The second major cluster was the area north of Capitol Drive along the Atkinson area in there. So we had two African-American neighborhoods that were hit very, very hard. So Mm -hmm. that basically exposed a lot of the underlying health issues that we face as a community, a lot of the disparities. So certainly it has put a spotlight on the racial disparities, whether it's healthcare, whether it's housing, whether it's employment, issues that we were familiar with at the city and and that you're familiar with Mm -hmm. actually in the work that you're doing. But it was concentrated so much in that area. It was then weeks or maybe even months later where we saw a gigantic outburst, quite honestly, on the south side in the Hispanic neighborhoods. And that continues to this day, a younger population. So the mortality rate wasn't high. The infection rate was probably higher. The mortality rate at that point wasn't as high. We don't know what the long-term mortality rate is going to be. But what I have seen 
is, again, appealing back. And I think people have a much greater appreciation of the healthcare disparities, the lifestyle pressures that people face when they live in more concentrated neighborhoods, um, when people who are essential workers have to go to work. I mean, I have this luxury of being able to work from my home by and large. I think a lot of us do. But whether it's the grocery store, whether it's for sometimes for kids, for daycare, a lot of people have to be out there. And a lot of them are going to be people of color. And so I think that it really, really puts a focus on a lot of the challenges we face as a society locally as well as nationally. Absolutely. And there's a balancing act that goes with trying to look at health and safety and the wellness of the general public. You know, and what are the factors that you consider when you're looking at trying to keep the economy open and active? And at the same time, we got the safety and health and wellness of vulnerable people. Well, and and I think one of the things that I'll pay you a compliment is one of my passions has always creating opportunities for our young people in our community. And through our Earn and Learn program, we have literally put tens of thousands of young people to work in the summer. And I've done that because I feel that we have a moral obligation as adults to create hope and opportunity in the lives of young people. And when I seek to raise funds for this, the, the question I always ask the business executives or the leaders is, what was your first job? And I start off that conversation with that because every person, I mean, every person I have ever met can instantaneously tell me their first job. And so I try to segue from that as to how important it is. And most communities gave up on having any summer employment at all during this pandemic year. Mm-hmm. But you guys kept it alive. You right. kept, and we were happy to work with you. So I'm very grateful for that. And so now as we look to 2021, we know that we need to really, really inject some energy into this because what we have also seen this year is we've seen the highest crime rates we've seen as yes. a season when it comes to homicide and other issues of reckless driving. We have to find positive outlets for people of all ages. But I think in particular for our young people, we have a moral obligation to create hope and opportunity in their lives. And so that's one of the challenges that's coming out of this. Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of mental health issues this year. Yes. In the opioid and heroin fatality numbers going up. So there are lots of issues that have emanated from this crisis, the economic crisis, as well as the healthcare crisis. Yeah. And I just want to piggyback with you, Mayor, on that. And listeners, please take note. 2021 is going to be imperative when it comes down to opportunity for our young people. And through our Earn and Learn program that we've had for a very long time, it's going to be critical, as the mayor stated. You know, we get resources to put as many young people as possible. While we were able to save a portion of the summer program this past summer, it's going to be really, really imperative that we have the resources and funding necessary to put four times as many young people to work than we were able to do in the past summer. So thank you, Mayor. And listeners, please take note. The mayor will be knocking on doors looking for opportunity there. (laughs) So, Mayor, just kind of turning the channel a little bit, you recently formed a commission to discuss police reform. Can you tell us a bit more about the commission and what you hope to accomplish as far as outcomes? Sure. As you know, Shaitania, that here in Milwaukee, we have a structure that's unlike many other structures in many other cities, where the Fire and Police Commission actually is the overseeing body of the police and fire departments. I don't hire the police chief. I don't hire the fire chief. I do appoint the members of the Fire and Police Commission who are then confirmed by the Common Council. So they have direct oversight for not necessarily the day-to-day activities, that's with the police chief, but the direction of the police department. But again, looking at what we need to do, and, and this came as a result of the George Floyd murder as well, when former President Obama 
challenged mayors to, to get involved. And this was something that was very much in my sweet spot that I felt was necessary. There are community groups that are looking at this right now, and I think that's really important, and I support that. We have our Office of Violence Prevention that works with the community to try to go upstream, if you will, prevent this. But, but we have to have the stronger relationships between our police department and our community. And what I mean by that is if we're going to be successful, this has to be a city where our residents work with and respect our police department. Mm-hmm. And the, we also need our police officers and police department to work with and respect our residents. In other words, this only works if it's a two-way street. If it's an occupying force where the police are not part of the community and there's no trust, that is not a good sign. And it's not a good omen as to what will happen. It is about a relationship, just like a marriage. A marriage isn't perfect. The relationship isn't perfect. We're always going to have a police department and we're always going to have a community. And so it's incumbent upon us to try to build the communication between the community and the police department and not to have this a situation where our residents don't trust the police and the police don't respect our residents. And so it is imperative that we do more work in that area. And that's my goal. My goal is to try to build that. And I know it's not a light switch where you turn it on or you turn it off. It's something you just have to keep working it and working it and working it. And that's one of the reasons, for example, that I feel so strongly that our police officers and firefighters should live here, mm-hmm. should live in the city. They should be part of this community. And so as I look at how do we add police officers, how do we add firefighters, we have to also instill in our residents Look, if you don't like what's going on there, be part of the solution. Be part of the solution and let's change it. Because ultimately, I think that these departments only change from within. And so you have to have people who are change agents who want to do this. This is important. I want safety in my neighborhood. Everybody wants safety in their neighborhood. What I've said for years is my vision for this city is I want this to be a city where grandmas can sit on their front porches and watch their grandkids play safely in their front yards. And everybody, everybody I know wants that. Right. And so let's try to find a way to have those reforms necessary and more importantly, to work with each other to create that environment for everybody. Absolutely, Mayor. That's going to be the key is really everyone coming together with the same intent in mind to work together. That's the only way the community is going to continue to thrive and we get to those ultimate goals. And looking at the economics of things, what kinds of businesses do you believe thrive, may thrive under these types of circumstances? And then what types of businesses may struggle? And then is there any kind of advice you would give to businesses to regain their footings after You know, the pandemic is something new to all of us, but the hope and opportunity for businesses to revitalize, we hear a lot, we see a lot on television with small businesses like closing their doors permanently because this thing is lasting longer than expected and they just can't, from an economic standpoint, keep the doors open. Well, one of the things that we have done is with the money we've received through the CARES Act, which is the federal legislation that delivered over $100 million to the city of Milwaukee, a lot of that money has gone to the health department, as it should. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we put money into other programs like eviction prevention programs, which are very important. And looking to 2021, I am very concerned about evictions in our city and what's going to happen here. But we've also put money into what we call our restart program, which is geared for small employers. 20 or fewer employees, annual revenues of less than $2 million to help them get their footing and to remain open during this pandemic. And we've had two rounds of grants and we've had over $10 million has gone out the door because we know that that's important. 
And right now, that's obviously a priority because we know there's a lot of restaurants that are under duress, a lot of right. here, a lot of small businesses that are really under duress. But we also, stepping back from the pandemic, we have had a depression in neighborhoods of the central city of Milwaukee for a long time. And so what I've focused on is how do we get jobs in those neighborhoods? And I think people would be surprised at how much work my administration, how much department, the Department of City Development puts into trying to retain and attract businesses. And I go to a, a number of, of meetings with business leaders from around the metropolitan area. And I sit there oftentimes and they talk about their frustrations of not being able to attract workers. And whether they're in Waukesha or Ozaki or Washington County or even the suburbs of Milwaukee, they're frustrated because they can't find workers. And I just about pull my hair out because my argument is, look, why don't you put the jobs in the neighborhoods where the people who need the jobs live? Why don't you do mm -hmm. that? They're complaining to me or complaining about not being able to get workers or complaining about transportation. And I use as an example, Amazon. And this is some for some a controversial company, but Amazon has these warehouses all over the country. And not many of them are in central cities. They're in suburban areas. They're in rural areas. They're oftentimes close to expressways. And there was interest in having one right on 35th and Capitol Drive. And again, I know that Amazon can be a controversial employer, mm -hmm. but to me, the notion of having jobs that paid $15 an hour with benefits and literally thousands of them, 30th and Capital was very appealing. And so we tried everything we could to convince them. And this would have been the Amazon Center. There would have only been one Amazon Center in the nation in a neighborhood that was more African-American than this one. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of the day, they decided to put it in Oak Creek, basically 500 yards from the freeway. Now, Oak Creek, God bless Oak Creek, basically no unemployment, no unemployment there. And so, so what's going to happen? To the extent that there are workers that come from the central city, they're going to have to take a bus for 45 minutes, or they're going to have to find a way to get down there. And it's going to put pressures on them, as opposed to having the jobs five minutes from where people live. So that didn't turn out. So our next attempt was, was Strauss Meatpacking. Again, jobs, $17 an hour jobs, union dues, healthcare, and we got caught up in the controversy over first people who don't like meat, and then there were concerns about the jobs in the neighborhood. But, but I have continuously tried to get family-supporting jobs in the central city, and it's, mm -hmm. it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And when you have the jobs rejected, then it makes the hill a little harder to climb for the next employer because they're going to say, well, geez, if I'm going to walk through the buzzsaw, why would I go there? And so that doesn't mean we stop, stop right. we accelerate it, but we have to find more employers that will locate the jobs in the neighborhoods where the people live. To me, that's a big part of the solution. And it's a challenge, but, but it's a challenge that we're going to continue to try to overcome. Absolutely, Mayor. And we know as long as you continue to be mayor, that's going to be one of those things you're going to keep advocating for. And just thinking about the job seekers in the interim, what type of advice would you give, given the circumstances of where we are, to job seekers who are looking for employment now? Well, I think obviously persistence has to be a big part of this. And mm -hmm. I have four kids in their 20s. and It's, it's a tough time. It's a tough right. time for people getting jobs because you have this perception, I think, oftentimes, that, well, I'll just walk into the office. I'll just walk into the headquarters and they'll hire me. And you go there and then I feel. So I think obviously looking online and, and connections, one of the things that I do tell my own kids is, you know, you got to put your name out there. You got to let people know you're looking too. So I think persistence, but I am optimistic 
that we're going to have a vaccine within the next, maybe in the next weeks, literally, Mm -hmm. but the distribution over the next four or five months. And so I'm eternally optimistic and hope that we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel so that we can start opening the business, all the businesses, and that by next summer, we're going to have life at least much closer to normal. I don't think it's going to be back to normal, but we're going to get through this. We are going through this as painful as it is. We will definitely get through this together. So we continue to remain hopeful and we know there's light at the end of the tunnel eventually. So Mayor, again, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your insights with us today. It was a pleasure having well, you. Great to be on your show. Like I said, I love your television. <laughs> the highest ratings in the entire country. So. Mayor, you got me laughing. Okay. <laughs> but are there any parting words that you'd like to leave for our listeners today? Well, I think we have a wonderful city. We have challenges galore. We know that. We know we have challenges. But but when you have good people who are trying to address them, I think that's where I get my hope. I get my energy, my hope from the people in this community who continuously try to care for their families and try to do what's right by them. And that's inspiring to me. And so I love the work that you do. I love the work that the people who try to connect people with jobs do. Because at the end of the day, we're all the same. We all want to right. We all all want to have good family life. We want to take care of our kids. There's no magic here. It's just, let's just try to do it together, not divide each other. Well, thank you again, Mayor. Okay, thank you very much, Titania. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to Workforce Insights, where workforce development is our business. Make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about Employment Milwaukee, visit www.employmentwalkie.org. That's www.employmentwalkie.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next time with a new episode.